We're turning to a very unusual text of Scripture this morning, uh, Proverbs chapter 30. I've never preached on it before, and I'm quite sure that, I'm almost sure that none of you have heard a message on it, so it's before us, so we turn to it this morning, Proverbs chapter 30. Get the Psalms and then the Proverbs before Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. And verse 18 and verse 19 are the two verses that we're going to read and then we're going to select a text from within these verses. There be three things which are too wonderful for me. That word wonderful there is the word mysterious or hard to understand. There be three things which are mysterious and hard to understand. Yea, four, which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a mate. We know the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his word. Now out of these four things that the writer to the Hebrews got it difficult to understand. The one I want to call your attention to this morning is the second one. The way of a serpent upon a rock. Now I'm not surprised if you say in yourself this morning no wonder the writer to the Proverbs got it hard to understand. When this text was thrust upon me coming near the end of the week after waiting on the Lord, it was very hard for me to understand. Then I thought that, I think that Solomon wrote a thousand Proverbs And there are only 31 of them included in this book, inspired book. And so the 31 that's inspired the Word of God in the book, God doesn't write things for nothing. He doesn't give us scriptures for fun, to baffle us and to leave us that we can't understand them. He doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit teaches us. These things were written aforetime for our learning, for our admonition, and for our application to our hearts and souls as well. We must always compare Scripture with Scripture. And the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. 
Now, if what flashes into your mind this morning when we talk about a serpent? The devil, of course. The old serpent, the devil, John tells us in Revelation. The old serpent, the devil, that slithered into the Garden of Eden. And the Bible opens and closes with him. And what flashes into your mind this morning when you think about a rock? God, of course. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Christ. Paul says, this rock is Christ. The church. Upon this rock will I build my church. Now that opens it out a wee bit for us, for us doesn't it? That gives us powerful ammunition for thought and for study. Now I want you to notice this about the text. The serpent is upon the rock. You can't get much closer to the rock than that. Or he's above the rock. That always was the goal of Satan. When you go back to the fall of Satan. You go back to the scriptures in Ezekiel and in Isaiah regarding him. He said, I will exalt myself above the Most High. That has always been the target of Satan. And it will be coming out so much in these prophecy meetings. Because that's what the Antichrist will be doing. He wants to exalt himself. He's never far away from the Savior. He was never far away from the Savior when he was upon earth. He's never far away from the church. He's very close, Satan. He's never far away from you and for our, and, and myself and our families is very close. So you can see where we're heading with this this morning. Because there's so much that we could say. Now I want to expound the scripture to you this morning and I'm going to do something we don't usually do and we'll catch out those who maybe sleep. I want you to turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 21. Turn back to First Chronicles chapter 21. And take your time now and get the place. We're going to service this text from the Scripture this morning, and God's going to speak to our hearts. God wants to speak to our hearts. Because we're not going to just see Satan here and see him there. We're going to see victory over him. And maybe he's very close to your family at the moment. First Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 1. Watch how close he was to David. 
And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number the people. I tell you, he was at his elbow. You see, the context of this here is, if you read the last verses in chapter 20, that David was elated with success. Verse 6 of chapter 20, And yet again there was war at Gath, where was a man of great stature, whose fingers and toes were twenty, were four and twenty, six and on each hand, and six on each foot. And he also was the son of the giant, Goliath, that is. But when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, slew him. They're marching in victory, destroying the whole, wiping out the whole Philistine. And you don't do that. You don't engage the enemy like this. And don't expect a retaliation. All nations were subject to David now. And pride cometh before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Because these verses tell us, have you studied them? And we're not studying them this morning. He's sitting on the throne and he calls Job, the commander-in-chief, to take a census of the number of soldiers that he has in Judea and in Israel. And by doing that, by numbering the people, he grieved God. And that's what the devil wanted them to do. The devil's always close where there's pride. Now hear me this morning. He's always close where there's a proud heart. God forbid this man to do this because he was, he was, he, he was depending on soldiers, depending on men. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And listen, my friend, it doesn't matter if tonight they're sitting around here. It'll only be a meeting. It'll only be a gathering of people to hear what's going on in the community or in Brexit. And unless God is in it, what's numbers? And Job, the commander-in-chief, an ungodly man, pleaded with David, don't number the people. But of course he didn't listen to him. And a man full of pride and haughtiness, he's hard to put up with. And he went out and he numbered the people and God slew 70,000 because of his rebellion. And that's what Satan wanted. He was right there beside him. He's never far away from the rock. And if you're in blessing this morning, and I'm saying this from experience, if you're in blessing this morning and God is good to you and he's blessed you in so many different ways, you, Jimmy Armstrong, used to say, watch your back. Because he's not very far away. 
Now turn with me on, on over to Job chapter 1. Because I can tell you when you come to Job chapter 1, he not only provoked David, but he targeted Job. And can I say, he's not far away where there's pride, and he's not far away where there's prayer. Now I think this, these opening chapters of Job, sad and all as they are, Verses, uh, first chapter, sad and all as they are, there's some lovely truths in them. Let's read verse 1 of Job, chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. That man was perfect. It didn't mean that he was sinless. It means that he was righteous and holy and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep. You think of that, a man with 300 sheep. I tell you, if you see them on the side of a hill, you'll stop and look at them. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household or husbandry of people employed with him. Why, well, he would need them. If you had all that stock, you would need men. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And his sons went and, fa and feasted in their houses, everyone on his day, and sent and called for the three sisters to eat and drink with them. This is a, they're having a fellowship evening together. There's nothing, nothing immoral about this. But it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings and sacrifice, offerings according to the number of them all. Now notice that. Now what have we here? We see the head of the house early in the morning in prayer for the family. He's seeking God for his offering sacrifices for the family. Isn't that lovely? Tell me, Father, do you get up early in the morning, shut yourself away, and pray to God for the family that he would protect them and keep them clean? That's what Job praying here. Do you do that? Look at verse 5. And it was so when the days of the feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offering according to the number of them all. Do you know what I see here? I see a family that was very close. I see unity. They were all together. The family were together here. Isn't that lovely? They were joined together. And Job was up early in the morning praying for them. 
And the devil was there. Watch this now. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God, that's the angel of God, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And he's close. Doesn't like the head of the house praying. He doesn't like the prayer meetings for the family and for the children. He's targeting Job. Because when God says, And whence comest thou, Satan, in the verse, the next verse, then Satan answered the Lord and said, For going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down, he's a liar. He's a father of lies. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. omnipotent. He was going round Job's backyard trying to get in. And he couldn't touch Job or he couldn't get in until God gave him permission to do it. And he did give him permission. Have you considered my servant Job? And God allowed allowed Satan to attack Job, to test him and to try him and to bless him. Never forget that, my friend. Don't you think that because he was praying and interceding and crying unto God morning after morning, day after day, that trials weren't going to come, that afflictions were not going to come, that sickness was not going to come, that death was not going to come, because God's ways are way beyond our ways. But in the story of Job, and in every situation the same, where God allows it, he does it for blessing. And you know the end of the story of Job. How the abundant blessing came and he replaced twofold all that he lost. God has ways of working that we know nothing about. The old enemy is never far away whenever we're seeking the Lord in prayer and desperate prayer and we're crying for our families and crying for our land and crying for our children. He's not very far away. He's upon the rock. Turn on over then towards uh, the end of the Old Testament to Zechariah chapter 3. The one before the last of the Old Testament and chapter 3. This is, the, this is what the Bible's doing its work, and this is what we'll be doing tonight. We'll be expounding in Daniel chapter 2. And if the, the Word of God read and expounded doesn't draw people and hold people and feed people, you please tell me what will. If ever we needed to get back to expository preaching, for the Word of God is let loose. Listen to what the Word of God says, rather than men, 
It's only our job to open it up. Here in Zechariah chapter 3, he's not very far away. Verse 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest. And that's not the other Joshua that led the people over the Jordan. This is Joshua the high priest. Standing before the angel of the Lord. And that's a theophany. That is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So he's close. Now watch it. And Satan. Standing at his right hand. To resist him. Doesn't make her matter whether the Lord was there or not. And the Lord said unto, here it's again, Satan. The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, three times you have. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now the context here is that the children of Israel had just come back from the Babylonish bondage of 70 years. And Joshua the high priest had set up an altar to, to sacrifice unto the Lord. And he goes in before God. But he still has the old Babylonish garments on him. And he's going into the presence of the, of the Lord. I don't know whether there may not have been a sacrifice available to do it, but he goes into the presence of the Lord in his old Babylonish garments to, uh, to represent the people, the sins of the people. That's what the high priest's job was to do. So he has come back out of the Babylonish captivity, and just as he is, he goes in before the Lord. And I tell you, he gets a great welcome before the Lord because the Lord Jesus, a theophany, is with him. And God the Father is there as well. And you can see it because one spoke to the other. And here in the midst of of this is Satan. And he's not provoking, he's not targeting just, he's accusing what he's doing. He's accusing Joshua. Verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, Take away the filthy garments. The Lord says, Take away the filthy garments. So whenever he come in before the Lord in the, in the filthy garments, uh, the Satan latched on to this. And that's what he does, my friend. And if you read this and take time and study these verses, you will see a wonderful gospel application here. That's what he does. And listen, that's what he does with a whole lot of you people that don't remember the Lord round the Lord's table. Now I'm telling you, you take that from God. Oh, I'm not fit for that. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. My friend, that's not a good answer. And I want to be gentle with you this morning. And I know that many of you don't 
have other reasons, but the devil is an accuser. And he'll accuse you in so many different ways. He'll say to you, look at the state. Look at your state. Look at your condition. Look at what you done last week. Look at what you said last week. And the devil's an accuser. And he'll come right in there to man to hammer you with some accusation, or maybe even way back in the past, the fiery darts. Don't you listen to him this morning? If you're saved and born again by the Spirit of God, you're as worthy to come round this table as I or any other man or woman is. And what a rebuke the Lord given. In verse 3 he says, Is this not a brand plucked from the burning? Is this not a soul? Is this not a soul plucked out of bondage? Is this not a soul brought back and set free and delivered? It was a delight for the Lord to see him in the present, even though we had the old garments on him. The Lord soon fixed that. Listen, if you're not saved this morning in this meeting, you may feel filthy this morning. You may feel unclean this morning. Things that you said and things that you've done and places that you were in the week that is gone and you sit here and you feel unworthy this morning and the devil will tell you you're no good and he'll tell you you're unworthy and he'll tell you you're useless, but he's a liar. And he'll come as near to you as he can this morning and whisper in your ear and he'll damn you. That's what he'll do. Verse 4, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, take away the filthy garments from him. Behold, I have caused thine iniquity pass from thee and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. <laughs> oh, if only we had time this morning. My friend, that's what he'd done with every one of us. Brands plucked out of the burning, cast away the old filthy garments, and he gave us new clothing, and he gave us new life, and he gave us liberty, and he gave us life, and he cleanses us every day. Hallelujah. And I live in the good of it if you don't. The accuser. The accuser. Do you ever hear him accusing you? I hear the accuser roar of things that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. But Jehovah findeth none. Hallelujah. They're under the blood. They're in the sea of his forgetfulness. I'm standing before God. Let the devil do what it says, what he likes. He provoked David and he targeted Job and he accused Joshua. Turn with me to Luke 22 in closing place. Luke 22. Get your place in the Bible now. Follow it. The serpent. 
upon the rock. Doesn't that speak to Peter, doesn't it? Whenever the Lord says to, says to them, on this rock will I build my church, he wasn't pointing at Peter. The Roman Catholic people tell you that Peter was the first pope. You couldn't build anything on Peter when you see what's going to happen here. After this, you couldn't build anything on Peter at any time or on any man at any time. He was pointing to himself. He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Luke 22, verse 31, a few days before the cross. Watch this now carefully as we close. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. There was something startling to come. When you get that name double-barreled, if he was to speak to you like that, it would be very, very important. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. See that word desire? He has requested to have you. The devil knows that he needs permission. And whatever you might be going through this morning, and that you don't understand, physically, mentally, financially, any other way, and if the devil is behind it, it's only because the Lord has allowed him. So, to teach you again a lesson, and lessons for your good, because that's what happened with Peter. Watch it again. Simon, Simon, behold Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Do you see that word sift? It means to shake or to rattle to the core, to toss to and fro, to winnow. Give me, when I give you an, an application for this, an illustration, rather, for this. In the mid-60s, down in the banks of the Erne, where I was raised, they put a scheme into operation down at Ballyshannon to let the water from the Erne down into the Atlantic. And they did that because of the flooding my father had one mile of shoreland along the shore, the lower lap. 
And it was all flooded right up into the fields, best of timber, all in water. So that was going on up the whole of Upper Loch Erin. So they devised this plan to reclaim the land and they let the water away. Whether they let too much of it away or not, I don't know, but where we lived, we were looking out onto a bay and the water all drained away from that bay, a quarter of a mile of a bay. It was all sand. There was more in it than sand. There was a canoe in it, and it's up in the, found in it, and it's up there in the museum in Belfast, if you want to see it. And there was a whole lot of stuff recovered. But my father was building, was building a buyer and a sailor pit, and he lanced onto the sand, and he got a couple of Ferguson tractors, and a couple of Dexter tractors, and trailers, and a half a dozen men and drew the sand, which was from here to the gate or a bit further, up to the farmyard. And it was all right driving the tractors and the trailers and the link boxes. It was all right, all that for a fellow 16 or 17 years of age. But it was these two big round griddles. And all that sand had to be riddled before it could be used. And so nobody wanted to do that. We all had to take our turns at it. And you put a couple of shovels of sand into that and start shaking it, I'll tell you. It was hard work. Sifting. Sifting. Satan desires to have you, Peter, that he might sift you as wheat. That he might take the chaff away. He didn't know he was doing that, but God knew. That he might take the chaff away. The wheat winnowed and the chaff and the wind blows it away. Leaves with the pure wheat. Now watch this next verse as we close, this next thought as we close. Read it again. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may shake you, that he may sift you like wheat. Now watch this. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now, I got an awesome blessing out of that wee phrase. And I'll tell you the blessing that I got. He knew what was going to happen to Peter. And he had prayed already for him. So anything that comes across your path, dear believer, this week, oh, it'll be a mystery to you, and it'll be strange to you, and it'll be offensive to you, it'll be hurtful for you, it'll be grievous to you, but remember this, he has already prayed for it. He says, I have, that's in the past tense. I have prayed for you. Isn't that lovely? Long before it come near you, the blessed Savior 
ever liveth to make intercession for us. He says, I have prayed for you. The devil's not taken me by surprise, and I'm going to let him shake you and test you. And I'm going to let him reveal to you, Peter, what's really in you so that you can be a blessing to me in days ahead. Watch it again. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Oh, he fell and he cursed and he denied. But he never, his faith never failed. Never did. And here's the reason. Thy faith failed not. And when thou art changed or strengthened, when thou art changed or converted, when thou art turned away, when this whole trial is over, it's to strengthen thy brethren. And friend, those of us know this morning that we had been in trials and tribulations and sufferings, that as a result of what has happened to us, we can be a blessing to others because we have experienced it. So this will be falling out to the good of others. When thou art, some of, the, some of the scholars say here, when thou hast converted thy brethren, strengthen them. Now I don't know whether that's the right rendering of or not. Because I know that it wouldn't be very long until 8,000 souls were saved under his ministry. And the devil, did the devil know that? Did the devil know that the hand of the Lord was upon Peter? Now here's what J.C. Ryle says. He was converted not from the state of sin. He was already saved, and that doesn't need disputing. Not from the state of sin, but from an act of sin. Blessed be the Lord when we fail. He comes in, and he strengthens us and changes us and cleanses us as he did with Peter. He let him go on, down, on, down, and down. But he, he never went out of the will of God and the fact that God wasn't praying for him. And he lifted him up and brought him back again. Hasn't he done that with you many times? And he's done it with me. Well, we've failed him, we've denied him, we've done all sorts of things. And then in his love and his mercy, he has brought us back. The devil's not far away from the rock. He's not far away from the church. He's not far away from the families. But you'll be hearing some of these 
Sunday night. That the stone made without hands, <laughs> which speaks of the Savior. Twice there we get it in a few verses of one another in Daniel 2. The stone which speaks of Christ, made without hands, will strike the image on the feet and the toes and put it into pulp. Stone, Christ the stone. Trace him through the scriptures and the many times he's likened to the stone. The rock. The rock. And Paul tells us in Romans shortly, shortly, the Lord Jesus will come and bruise Satan under his feet. We're on the victory side this morning. We have a Savior this morning. He provoked David. He targeted Job. He accused Joshua. He sifted Peter. And he'll do all the same with us. But he's standing right beside us all the time in glory to his name. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We rebuke the enemy this morning in Jesus' name when he says to these dear people, some of them this morning are not worthy, they're no good, they're no use. He's a liar and we rebuke him. In our own lives, Lord, we know all those things, Father. There's nothing good in any of us, but we thank you for the blood that cleanses us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We thank you that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we thank you that we're going out into this week as victors. Uh, Lord, to go through with God. For one day soon thou shalt burst the clouds and bring us home to the glory. Hallelujah. I want to thank you and want to praise you this morning. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I want to thank you this morning in the midst of the sifting and the afflicting and the tossing to and fro and the attacks of the enemy upon us. We thank thee that thou art beside us and with us and at our elbow. And I pray, Lord, this morning for those who are in the furnace, those that are getting it tight and hard, Father, and families, and in so many different ways that we don't know of, but we know that you've ministered, we believe, to some this morning. And as you've ministered to our own hearts, we thank thee that we can go with confidence out into this week, knowing that the Lord is good and the Lord is with us. Bless those that must go Remember those of us who stay, for Jesus' sake. Amen.